At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. You listen to Cyber Law and Business Report. We're broadcasting from San Francisco, California. We're here for AdTech, and uh, we got a great show um, for you today. Um, we're going to start off with some news updates, but when we come our, later on, we're going to have Matt Schaefer and um, Magic Matt, as we like to call him, um, because he was the um, he was the lawyer on our very second show. We talked about his battle in Colorado against Amazon Tax. And um, he was successful. He got a call within minutes after getting off the show, and uh, he had got an injunction. And so, it uh, is he's magic Mac for that. But he's, he's going to talk about the New York High Court decision in um, on the Amazon tax, and we're going to see what that means and what to expect from, about that going forward. And um, we're going to talk. Then we're going to before. First of all, give you some news updates, and then one kind of shout out. Um, the first shout-out is, you know, Stan Saul's been a great friend of the show. Um, he's with Citadel Security, and he actually is also um, part of an event that's coming up. It's the International, um, excuse me, the Information Systems Security Association. Um, they're having the fifth annual Information Security Summit. It's on May 21st in Universal City Hilton, and it features the, um, as the keynote, Howard Schmidt, the former U.S. cybersecurity coordinator, who is also the um, former CEO of Google. So um, that's coming up on May 21st at Universal City Hilton. And so you're, if you're in the area and you're interested in this area, um, definitely check it out. It's an important issue. Um, so a couple of uh, uh, in other areas in the news, are, some of them somewhat funny. And um, Cashman Hill, as you may recall, has been on our show a great time. And you need a couple of times, and you know I'm a great fan of her blog, The Not-So-Private Parts on Forbes. Well, she has um, been just, she has a great piece um, last week in 
uh, her blog, on, on Complex Magazine's decision to publish a list of the 40 hottest women in tech. And as you imagine, that it has generated somewhat of controversy just with how appropriate that is. And you know, women's uh, included is kind of a somewhat of a dubious honor um, in their view. And <laughs> well, what apparently in doing her investigation, they found out that, well, one, um, the, the list was originally 50 and then cut down to 35 and then up to 40. And uh, she discovered that she was part of the original 50. So after just getting the, 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 the distinction of finding out that she was, uh, I guess, given honorable mention for the award, um, it, she then went on to deal with, I think, in, in a fair but you know, somewhat slightly amusing manner about the whole concept of having such a thing as the 50 hottest women in tech. And um, so it, you might want to check it out. And congratulations to Kashmir. She sent that. Um, you, you are, for being an honorable mention, uh, I'm sure you, clearly you have mixed feelings about that. And uh, But thanks for doing a good job and highlighting really what the what the comp, on the, the issues associated with the complex um, listing. In terms of um, the, the names, you know, a lot of them are familiar on the list. But actually, ironically enough, ran into one of them last week, um, Dina Kaplan from Blip TV. And um, just to say a shout-out, it was great to see her. And um, as she visited Los Angeles, and strangely enough, I had not seen her in, since 1978 when we both were in D.C. Excuse me, not 1974, um, since we were, when we were both in D.C. Um, at that time. And so a couple other announcements and news updates. One is that um, last week we didn't inform you, um, so you could adequately prepare that last Thursday was um, the feast day of, say, Isidore Seville. And you're saying, so what? Well, apparently Isidore Seville is the patron saint of the Internet. And so I guess by definition, Thursday was the patron, uh, was the feast of of the of the internet and um so i don't know if you celebrated i don't know if you had a better day on the internet because of it but isidore seville um, was a bishop in seville uh, but also a scholar and he he wrote encyclopedias at least what was some of known as the earliest encyclopedias ever and so for that reason i guess he's deemed appropriate for inclusion in the um the list of uh, patron saints and particularly for the internet and there are patron saints for everything as you might imagine and you know, I'm surprised to, to look at some of the ones that are included but I guess in, in, when you look at considering there's patron saints for beekeepers and taxi drivers maybe a patron saint on the internet isn't all that insane but um, we also have going on today in Capitol Hill a closed door session of the House Intelligence Committee as they consider the um, the latest version of CISPA, and there's a lot of debate about, one, how appropriate was it to have this debate in closed doors, but eventually it will have to be in open and um, in public. Um, it's an important issue, and um, it definitely deserves merit. Now, uh, Mike Mathick has a really good piece in Tech Dirt this today. Um, if you don't read Tech Dirt, you definitely should check it out. But he's making a point that maybe the case hasn't been made um, clearly about the dangers of, that we're facing here. And he mentions, um, for example, here's a quote, the 27 largest U.S. companies reporting cyber attacks said it sustained no major financial losses exposing a disconnect with federal officials who say billions of dollars in corporate secrets are being stolen. 
MetLife, Coca-Cola, and Honeywell International were among the 100 largest U.S. companies by revenue to disclose online attacks and recent filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Citicorp Inc. reported limited losses while others said there was no material impact. And that may be true, but you know I think it, it obscures um, somewhat the issue. Um, we know, for example, that there we've had people on who talked about um, actual losses from to small and medium businesses that from cyber attacks or from cyber fraud, and in terms of you know false payments and things of that nature, um, we know for a fact that there is developing a cyber crime network. Um, we, you know, basically, we had someone talk about um, cyber crime. You know, the development of, of a marketplace for cybercrime um, products. You know, for example, you can go to Moscow and get and buy a DNS attack on your competitor for as little as one hundred fifty dollars a day, and so that's real. It's happening, and so maybe we need to do a better job of fleshing out what is the scope of the problem. And um, it may be true that you know, whether we don't know, for example, as Mike points out, and you know, they haven't made the case that there's evidence that. Um, planes are going to fall out of the sky because it was a cyber attack on the air traffic control system. But, you know, I would hate to, to find that out after the fact. But, you know, to the extent that that's a real threat, we need to know now. Um, we also know that our government has been hacked. We know information has been gleaned and obtained. Um, and so, but these bills that we're talking about now on CISPA are more about the private sector. And so to what extent is the private sector under attack? And I know companies that have sustained massive attacks. And uh, so it, it is real. Um, but the question is, let's define what is the scope of the problem. And those have a fair debate about uh, what the solution should be. And that debate should be consistent with who we are as a nation. It should be consistent with due process. It should be consistent with um, protection of privacy and consistent with uh, people having rights and, and not necessarily an assumption that copyright is the most valuable thing in America today. No, one of the most valuable thing in America to say is who we are as Americans and what we are. And so we shouldn't compromise not just for copyright. So um, let's let that, that beat begin. And um, and we'll see. I, I can't imagine um, that the House Intelligence Committee won't approve CISPA since it is controlled by the Republicans. And so I would expect some bill to come to the floor soon. And so we will have this battle and we'll have this discussion again. Another big thing that I think I'd like to call your attention is in California, um, Bonnie Lowenthal has um, passed a, what is known as the Right to Know Act, AB 1291, and it kind of follows a, um, what in Europe is known as the habeas data, the fact that you can find out from any company what data they collect against you. And um, that was used by a German citizen to collect, to find out what was being collected by um, Facebook about people and within just astounded people that he had only been on Facebook a little while and you know those like 80 pages of stuff and um, so it'd be interesting it's, it, it, it's an interesting issue um, the EFF Electronic Frontier Foundation is supporting um, Assemblywoman Lowenthal's um, bill and uh, businesses uh, are somewhat concerned about it so we will um, be covering that at a later session as well and then um, finally um there was a decision by the Federal Trade Commission in respect to um, a, pub, a promotion done by um, Nordstrom Rack, and which they um, opened the store in Boise, Idaho, 
and uh, invited their, their Twitter followers, Twitter followers, to come and, and comment, and they got a gift card for doing so. And most of the people, apparently, some of the Twitterers' um, tweets did disclose that they had received gift cards. Some didn't, and so the FTC decided not to take an enforcement action against Nordstrom. Um, and they cited one: the fact that there was some form, some aspect of compliance, and two that. Um, Nordstrom had working with the FTC had developed a policy that was um, they felt was sufficient to address the issue going forward. So the important things to take away from that are this: one, um, it's important that remember that advertisers are liable for the bloggers, and two, um, it's important that advertisers have policies in place because that really seems to be the consistent thread in the FTC in terms of when they do and don't take action. So um, those are things that you, you, you can control. You, know, you, you can't control the people not complying with the law, but to the extent that you can control having a policy that insulates you from that, from that liability, it's important that you do so. Excuse me one second. So those are some of the meta issues but, um, that we're covering. And finally, um, two things we're going to cover just today in history. And then today, actually, is the day that the Dodgers um, bought the contract of Jackie Robinson from the Montreal Royals that led to his playing in Major League Baseball. And, of course, the movie 42 opens nationwide this week. And then um, also... For those, uh, it's interesting. I have a, a a friend who we debate a lot of political issues, and you know, we definitely have some heated discussions. But the thing that seems to get the most heated is when we talk about this one topic. And today in, is the day that Paul McCartney announced that he was withdrawing from the Beatles to pursue his own ventures. Yes, Bill, this is Paul McCartney withdrawing from the Beatles. It's not Lennon, not Yoko. And um, he's, we have a big, there's a big divide among Beatles fans, among the Lennonites and the McCartneyites. And it, it's kind of ironic that Paul McCartney actually chose today because today is the birthday of Vladimir Lenin, the, um, the Soviet dictator and a mass murderer, basically. But um, <laughs> a different Lenin, nonetheless. So um, today is a, a sad day for Beatles fans. And um, all due to Paul McCartney, I must remind you, Bill. So I um, hope all, all of you are ready for an interesting discussion on Amazon tax with Matt Schaefer um, in just a few minutes. And um, I want to thank you again for listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report. We'll be back in Santa Monica next week, and we'll be covering these and all these other issues that seem to come up um, so rapidly today on the Internet. And um, we welcome your suggestions. And um, please follow our blog, um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link billing firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? 
Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Our guest today is Matthew Schaefer. He is Magic Matt. He's a partner at Brandon Isaacson, and you may recall he was on our very second show. And um, right after um, appearing on the show, he had won an injunction um, against the Colorado Amazon law, um, which would later became a, a permanent junction of victory. And uh, he's also been successful in the in fighting the Illinois Amazon law. And so we're going to talk about today about the Amazon tax decision that just came down from New York. And Matthew, are you with us? I am. Good morning, Brad. Nice to talk with you. Nice to talk to you. And so... Um, as a starting point, was the Amazon decision in New York a surprise? No, it wasn't. Uh, you listeners may recall that the Amazon had lost both at the trial court level and at the intermediate appellate court level, uh, and so you know they were up against it on the uh, appeal to the Court of Appeals, New York's highest court, uh, which ended up affirming the decisions below. Uh, so it, it didn't come as a terrible surprise uh, to me that it, that the Court of Appeals affirmed. Now the um, well, the one thing that really struck me, and uh, like I mentioned and last week to the audience, was that um, there's a quote from the decision in which you know the, the court really doesn't address Quill, and then more or less, and just you know, let me back up. So basically, the key issue here in um, for the Amazon tax decision is whether or not you know the New York law is is a, a fair extension of the Supreme Court's decision in Quill versus North Dakota, which held that um, you have to have a physical presence in the state in order to um, constitutionally require someone to collect taxes. And um, and so th- that's that's the, really the fulcrum of whether or not this is going to be valid or not. And their decision, they say, um, they, they say almost like we don't have to deal with this. And... Um, I, I call it, they treat it as a quaint notion, and they, the quote they have is, the world has changed dramatically in the last two decades, and it may be that the physical presence test is outdated. An entity may now have a profound impact upon a foreign jurisdiction solely through its virtual projection by an Internet. The question, however, would be for the United States Supreme Court to consider. 
And I, I found that surprising because I thought, well, then until they consider it, Quill is still the law of the land and you should follow it. It is the law of the land, and I think what's interesting about that quote is that it really is more of a due process notion. I think one of the things that's important for folks to recognize about the New York decision is that it does not uh, determine, it does not stand for the proposition that merely advertising on the Internet through Internet affiliates is sufficient to create nexus. Instead, what the court says uh, is that active in-state solicitation is enough and that the presumption created by the New York law that there is active in-state solicitation uh, is one that survives a facial challenge. So it really hasn't changed the basic quill principle, which is that you must have active in-state solicitation for nexus to exist. Uh, it simply has made a determination that um, this law, which presumes there to be active in-state solicitation, will survive a facial challenge. It doesn't say that companies who merely have inter uh, Internet affiliates in the state by that very fact have nexus. But, you know, the, the, their whole refusal to embrace Quill I found disturbing. Well, it is an interesting, but my, my own view of that is that I think what the court is saying there is that uh, something more akin to a due process, sort of minimum contacts, right. availment kind of a standard might be more appropriate these days. That is not consistent with the Supreme Court the Supreme Court's decision in Quill, or its uh, more recent authority, which essentially says there is a difference between due process, minimum contacts, and su uh, substantial nexus under the Commerce Clause. So well, in that regard, I think the Court of Appeals is off base. And the interesting thing, I mean, Quill is a, you know, people often use the phrase nexus for Quill, and that, that is an element of it. Um, but, you know, nexus is, you know, that's kind of a, a due process issue, and Quill is based, is basically creating a bright line test because there's two constitutional standards that have to be met. You know, one is the due process issue. You know, is it, is it reasonable? Is it fair to have someone, you know, who has them this level of contact with the state to collect? Um, and so that's part of it. But then the other part is a commerce clause. And so, you know, Quill is kind of the, you know the creation of this. Um, I don't know, a constitutional jambalaya of, uh, of trying to you know, merge these two principles and create a rule that could you know, adequately and fairly address both. Right. And, you know, and that bright line still exists. It still exists by virtue of Quill, and, it, and frankly, it still exists after the Court of Appeals decision, which it's worth noting that the Court of Appeals um, looked to the record before the appellate division and found that there were, in fact, examples in the record of active in-state solicitation by Amazon affiliates. And it was only that kind of actual active in-state solicitation that the court found to be sufficient to establish nexus. It pointed out that no one in the case, not the Department of Taxation and Finance, not Amazon, not the court itself, was taking the position that merely advertising over the Internet was sufficient. So it's... Uh, you know, the New York uh, law creates that kind of a presumption that points to active in-state solicitation. It was that presumption that you know, really uh, allowed the court to reach the determination that um, you know, the law was going to withstand a facial challenge uh, now, in that case. Do you, how likely or um, do you have any sense, really, to what extent that this might be 
um, the Supreme Court may actually get to respond to the New York Appellate Court and uh, to answer the question that the New York Appellate Court raised. I think, you know, there's been, there were early press reports that, that Overstock, who folks will recall, also had a companion case that Overstock had challenged the law in addition to Amazon. There were early press reports that Overstock is interested in petitioning for certiorari to the Supreme Court. Um, I would be surprised if Amazon does because it's been collecting tax uh, in New York since the law was enacted in 2008. Um, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't take many appeals, right. uh, so I think the odds are against Overstock if they file a petition for cert, um, getting cert. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I think it, it's unlikely that the court will take it, but um, not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I would think that when you have a, a clause that's a, a provision in the, the underlying opinion that says the question, however, would be for the United States Supreme Court to consider, <laughs> it's too, like teeing yeah. it up for them. And uh, it, it, it does invite it. The court has, you know, declined cert in a number of tax cases in recent years where it might have um, taken up quill-related issues. So, for example, the court declined cert in um, each of the recent decisions against Scholastic um, in state court decisions finding that Scholastic uh, book clubs had uh, sufficient presence in the state in Texas. So hmm. um, the court hasn't shown a real appetite for taking these kind of cases, but you know, more and more of them are coming down the line. Um, the two cases that you mentioned uh, in which I was involved are both on appeal uh, one, the Colorado case in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, so uh, that one's a waiting decision. And the uh, Illinois case is before the Illinois Supreme Court, um, also um, awaiting oral argument and a decision. So there are other cases uh, in the pipeline, and at some point the court may, may be inclined to take one of them. So um, what, what is the next thing, then, on the whole, uh, on the whole Amazon war? Well, you know, we have, uh, in addition to these decisions uh, that, that are being run around the country, which, um, you know, again, Colorado and Illinois were decisions um, that really affirmed Quill, uh, and I don't view the New York Court of Appeals one as, as uh, going against Quill so much as, again, as it, as it acknowledges the Quill bright line, but, but takes the position that the New York law points toward in-state solicitation. There's the federal there's the federal bill that's before Congress. Um, Congress, as you noted, has the power to change this issue, and uh, you know the states have been actively pursuing federal legislation for a number of years. Um, whether or not that bill will, um, you know, make it farther in this current Congress or not remains to be seen. And and what that bill does is it just authorizes the states to. You know, if if they want, they can set up a regime to facilitate the collection. It doesn't necessarily require that states do so. That's right. And as states, before they have that authority, they they have to satisfy the requirements of the bill. Um, the bill, in my own view, needs to go farther in terms of requiring a greater simplicity in the system. Um, but what a state needs to do is uh, satisfy the, the requirements that Congress sets forth, and then it has authority to require remote sellers to collect tax. And, and some of the requirements of the bill are, are more of a simplification, right, in the classifications and, and in terms of what is taxed at what rate? 
Yeah, so it has two alternative uh, paths a state can follow. Um, a state, if it gains membership in the Streamline Sales and Use Tax Agreement, uh, will be deemed to have uh, sufficiently simplified its laws. And then there's an alternative path uh, that's a bit more straightforward and, frankly, doesn't, doesn't do nearly enough to require simplification um, by states uh, that would also result in a state having authority. Interestingly, most of the major states, California, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, Texas, are not members of the Streamline Sales and Use Tax Agreement, and uh, whether or not they could readily bring their laws into compliance with the federal law um, remains to be seen. That bill um, hasn't had a committee hearing yet in either House, uh, or either the House or the Senate. But Which is telling. Yes, there's uh, you know there was some momentum for a, a uh, action in the Senate uh, in the recent budget vote. Uh, there was an amendment to the budget expressing uh, support for uh, a bill of the kind that is now before the Senate. But um, you know progress uh, both in the Senate and the House is something that uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more from Matt on the Amazon tax wars after these messages from Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate display media or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. If you're like most digital marketers, you've probably got conversion rate optimization at the top of your list of priorities for 2013. Conversion rate optimization is one of the most effective ways to increase revenue and grow profits. You can master your website conversion optimization skills at Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013. Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013 is the only digital marketing conference entirely focused on getting more web visitors through your conversion funnel. Learn how to create persuasive content, design landing pages that trigger your visitors to action, and convert blog readers into customers. Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013, April 15th to the 17th, is quickly selling out. Register with discount code WMFM for $100 off your registration. Sign up today for Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013 at conversionconference.com. That's conversionconference.com. Time now for another exciting episode of Face of Analytics. Brought to you by AnalyticsSEO.com. In our last adventure, our hero was fending off his evil nemesis, Rhino the Algorithm. <laughs> That ruthless rhino has updated the algorithm again, and our website is falling down the rankings fast. Have no fear. Use our automated SEO tool to stay updated and to monitor your site with detailed reports. Or use our multi-site project management tool to manage all of your sites to stay on top. 
Take it from our fearless friend and be your own SEO hero with AnalyticsSEO.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Okay, and we're back with Matt Schaefer. Matt, um, you know, one theory I always had on the Amazon tax wars was that at a certain point, once the, you know, the initial the initial pain of the Amazon tax wars were, you know, when he had passage in New York and Rhode Island and North Carolina, and um, and he saw the immediate impact on the affiliate communities with all the, you know, states, with the vendors just pulling out and these affiliates getting terminated. And I thought, always thought that at a certain point that once you had enough states that had it, it would it just it would be uneconomical for the, um, the, the major websites to completely pull out of, you know, all the states. And at a certain point, they'd be cutting off their nose in spite of their face and... It seems that you know Amazon now, maybe partly because of a, a different business strategy, but um, we're, we're seeing less less fallout from subsequent Amazon enactments um, than we did from earlier enactments. And I know Amazon is trying to have more distribution centers, and so they're working out agreements with states as well. But um, you know, is 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 it less a contentious issue now that it's more widespread? I think, folks, two things about the newer uh, state Amazon laws, and they tend to follow the New York law given the success that the department had in defending that law in New York courts. Two things. Amazon, as you point out, has, in effect, made the decision that it will begin to collect in multiple states. It already collects in something like 17 states, or, or collect or will soon collect, I should say, in about 17 states that represent more than half of the population of the United States. And as a result, um, you know, Amazon uh, itself, which is such a large player, doesn't, uh, I think, routinely terminate their affiliates in the way that they have in the past. Uh, I think what they're going to do in Georgia is a little bit unclear. Georgia's law took effect earlier this year. Right. I don't believe they terminated their affiliates, although uh, I'm not sure that uh, there's yet been an indication that they've uh, started reporting tax. But, no, no, they haven't. <laughs> so, it's kind of like, uh, so that's one effect. The other is that other retailers have become accustomed to how to address these. And so they will either terminate their programs and find out that, it, that the damage to their market in a particular state is not that great, or uh, they'll do the, the steps necessary to the presumption that they have nexus through these advertisers. Um, you know, most of the states follow something like New York's certification uh, approach. And so, uh, again, no one has taken the position yet that merely advertising is nexus. Right. It's only when you cross that line into active in-state solicitation um, by those in-state web affiliates. So the New York Court of Appeals pointed to local organizations encouraging their members to shop uh, on the sites. Um, you know, that kind of activity would arguably have been nexus under uh, even absent such a statute. So um, you know, a number of retailers still just uh, extend their certification program to a new state and get their affiliates to agree that they, that they won't do that kind of in-state solicitation. And um, in terms of the, the, the dollar threshold, 
Yeah, has that ever been addressed? That, you know, what is whether the dollar threshold is too low for um, to impose that burden? In terms of what when I talk mean, with, just to listeners, when I'm with the dollar threshold, in New York, the presumption kicks in. I think if you've done over ten thousand dollars in total in the state. Right, and so I think the question, again, it may depend on the size of your affiliate program when you're a retailer. I know that, you know, um, our friends at the Performance Marketing Association would tell you that these things, laws are still very damaging to affiliate uh, businesses because at least some of the larger retailers like Overstock have tended to still cancel their programs. Um, if the program isn't large enough to generate, uh, you know, revenue um, over the threshold, say $10,000 or higher, I think George's is, I believe, higher than that, maybe as high as 50000 then, uh, you know, that, that's another issue that may keep smaller uh, affiliate programs alive. So um, on the constitutional level, though, it should, can, should the threshold be higher? Is that something that gets, you know, considered is the, the fact that, because um, you know, we are talking about a commerce clause test that, you know, it could you know, $5,000 20 years ago versus $5,000 today, you know, is that too low to, for, to have a to pass constitutional muster? Right. Well, at the risk of getting too far into the weeds on the constitutional issue, you know, the, the Commerce Clause um, bright line test is a proxy for how to prevent an undue burden on interstate commerce. But, exactly. But it hasn't been... Uh, the bright line is not one that's been concerned about, uh, you know, a volume uh, issue. The, the, the whole idea of the bright line test was that it will, despite some blurriness around the edges, will create a workable standard that is reasonable, rational, appropriate, uh, and again, sort of well understood for dividing the world between those companies that uh, a state has the power to to tax or to require to collect tax and those that it doesn't. Uh, so the threshold issue, uh, people like to debate the relative burdens, um, but uh, the real issue is a, is a sort of a national view. How does this affect interstate commerce on a, on a national uh, level? Um, and is it, would these kinds of laws, if they proliferated everywhere, be something that would um, create an undue burden on interstate commerce. That's the kind of analysis that the Supreme Court um, undertook in Quill. Now, um, tell us a little about your firm. You're based in Lewiston? We are in Lewiston, Maine. Um, Brandon Isaacson, we're a law firm of uh, 20 lawyers here in Lewiston that, that uh, practices both uh, across the country in the area of uh, Internet uh, state and local tax and other internet issues, and then also you know serves uh, you know customers in our great state of Maine as well. And um, in terms of, you know, I noticed that Maine is. You look at uh, you know some of the listings for where there's you know tech job growth, or you look at listings for you know good places to live. Um, you know Portland and and the areas in other cities in that region. I don't know if Lewiston was one of them. Um, seem seem to keep coming up. Why do you think that yeah, is? Uh, I think it's because it's such a wonderful place to live, and uh, you know, folks. Uh, it draws, I think, the kind of uh, you know inspires folks to to want to come and live and work here and do creative things. Uh, and I think that's the that's the lure. It's a wonderful place to both work and um, and you know have a family, enjoy the outdoors, etc. And are you from there originally? I'm not. I'm, I'm a Midwesterner originally. Where are you from? 
I, I grew up outside Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, enjoyed my childhood very much. My, my folks uh, are still in the great state of Iowa. So, I mean, it's what, looking here, according to the web, it's 46 degrees in Lewiston compared to 58 degrees in Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you know, spring comes a little later here than I'm sure than it does in Santa Monica, but we can, you know, we can see the ground again. The snow has melted and things are uh, just starting to green up. So, uh, come for the summer. It's, uh, main summers are stunning. They are. As a native New Englander, I can, I can attest to that, although... I, this is you know for people unfamiliar with New England, the um, the Cape is an important dividing line, because if you're north of the Cape, the water you're getting the currents from the the Canadian current and that comes from the Arctic, whereas if you're in the south part of the Cape, you're getting the currents that come from the Caribbean, and um, I, and I've 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 been in the water up in Maine, and I still believe it is a form of birth control. Um, <laughs> it, it is very, very cold, but I, you know, I guess people get used to it, do they? Uh, I do. I do think they get used to it. When you come live up here, I think you expect that to, you know, to be what the ocean is like, and either can can tolerate that or not. I I spent some time in the Pacific, and I recall the Pacific being, at least in uh, the northern part of California, being pretty chilly. Yeah, actually, uh, it is. Yeah, because it, it, it's bigger. And, uh, yeah, that surprised me as well. But um, it's true. Now, um, what other Internet issues are you dealing with in your practice? Uh, we handle a full range of things that uh, of issues that confront online marketers and other companies that do business over the Internet, including publishers, direct mailers, etc. So privacy, data, security, uh, uh, product safety, um, Federal Trade Commission kinds of consumer regulation issues, uh, the whole range of things that will confront an online retailer. Now, I'm actually um, I'm not in, broadcasting from um, San Francisco today because we're at AdTech, and it, it, I'm just noticing just walking the you know the floor at AdTech that you would seen how the industry is changing and you know the proliferation of mobile, and uh, that just you will know, basically more and more the focus is on mobile, and we're starting to see some you know enforcement actions being taken. Um, for you know, mobile spam, as but also you know, mobile privacy issues, has that come up uh, much in Maine? I haven't seen any Maine cases on the issue or, or activity by the Maine Attorney General's office. I mean, as you point out, it is increasingly marketers uh, look to reach consumers where they shop, and where that is more and more are on their tablets and on their um, iPhones and other mobile devices, and uh, you know that. Inevitably, uh, it's going to lead to you know uh, issues about regulation and um, you know how data is collected, how it's secured, um, privacy, uh, tracking. There've been some you know you've probably seen them, Bennett. I know the prominent articles about um, folks who have looked at how just how closely you can be tracked when yes. using your your uh, mobile device. And so those issues are they're, they're going to you know they, they will become more prevalent. Someone said to me last night, um, if you're afraid of getting hit by a drone, you don't want to have a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably right. And I said, you know, at the moment I'm, I'm not, so I'm comfortable with my cell phone. But, you know, it's interesting that, you know, that, that even that someone would mention that, even in jest. But um, <laughs> <laughs> They've been watching a lot of 24, I think. I, I think so. So <laughs> I want to... 
I want to thank you, but if, um, where can people find more information about you and your practice? Uh, on the Internet. Uh, that's where to find us, www.branlaw.com. You can also find us through directmarketing.com, directmarketinglaw.com. And um, how are the facts going to do this year? You know, uh, I think the early indications are really good. Uh, it, it, knock on wood, don't want to be too out ahead of it, but I think the new manager has, has uh, instilled a kind of a new uh, kind of ethic, and, and right now the team looks great. Well, that's good to hear. Well, thank you very much, Matt. It's been a pleasure having you, and I hope you come back soon. Ben, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. IRN USA Radio News. I'm Mark Thomas. President Barack Obama said today his budget proposal offers a fiscally responsible path to deficit reduction and called for Republican lawmakers to compromise with him. In remarks at the White House Rose Garden, Obama said he believed he had already met Republicans more than halfway in their demands for cutting annual U.S. deficits and said an overhaul of the U.S. tax system is now needed. Federal safety officials said Tuesday that texting contributed to an August 2011 medical helicopter crash. NTSB investigators say the pilot had been engaged in an extensive text message conversation while performing a pre-flight check and did not notice the aircraft was low on fuel. The LifeNet helicopter crashed a mile short of its destination, killing the pilot and three others. The NTSB said there was no evidence the pilot was texting at the time the engine failed. This is IRN, USA Radio News. Ladies, when was the last time you found it easy to lose weight? If you're like... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more... Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.